does. And uh, I, I, Lion King is one of my all-time favorite movies. And uh, I like it. It's, it's kind of, when I, when me and my brother and my sister, we were younger, you know, my dad, he always got a new tie. That was kind of like, you know, Christmases and birthdays. He always got at least one new tie. And my kids like picking me out these kind of t-shirts. So cool. I like it. They sometimes don't even know what they're picking out. They're just like, oh, it's a graphic tee. Daddy likes these. Nice. I'll take Are, it. Have you seen, have you seen the Black Stallion? Was that part of your childhood? Do you remember that movie? No. There's, it's like a kid is on a boat with a horse and they have a shipwreck and they all like, so like they're in the water, like him with the horse and the ship's going down. It is the fucking scariest thing. Like we, I think I was eight when the movie came out and my parents used to take us every, every year for our birthday, they would take us and a bunch of our friends to whatever movie we wanted to see. And so I think my sister wanted to see that at, you know, she was a couple years older and, uh, it's still one of the scariest things I've ever seen in the movies. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I, I think it, it's, there's a lot of scary shit in, in kids cartoon movies now. Like, like the Lion King's a pretty traumatic, it is. it's a pretty it, traumatic thing to show a, a seven year old. It is, but it, and it, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting because I, I really do enjoy watching the movies I watched as a kid and now watching them as a parent, as as an adult, but also through the eyes of of my of a parent, and I don't know. We we put a lot of stock in. Wow, like wow, Mufasa just felt like he got killed by his brother, and now Simba doesn't have a dad, and and it it, it is. But as a kid, I remember watching it. It was sad, but the whole, it didn't all click. And my kids, I think it, that part goes over their head too. I think unless. <laughs> well, good. You don't want to give either of many ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Call my brother. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then it's funny. My brother, they call him, his name is Dan and they call him uncle D and uh, he, he's a big Lion King fan too, but he's got a, a scar shirt. <laughs> oh, geez. So he'll, he'll wear like his uncle scar shirt when he comes <laughs> over and, and, yeah. So, yeah. But it, it a lot of, I think sometimes when we now watch movies as an adult and we're like, oh, this is inappropriate for kids. I don't know if it is inappropriate for kids unless you as the adult are a lot, keep making your kids aware of it, if that makes sense. Like to a kid, it, it, it opens their eyes to a little bit of it, but the real meaning of it Unless as a parent, I talk to my kids about what just happened, and I don't know if it, I don't know if it is that traumatic to kids. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know. Well, well, I mean, I guess in that in that case, the two movies would be a little different, right? Because the Black Stallion scenes is kind of visceral. You know, it's it's obviously terrifying. Where the mm-hmm. the stuff in Lion King or you know any any of the other like Disney stuff or you know cartoon type things is usually a little more. There's a little more subtlety to it, you know. Some of it, you, you're right. Some of it, you wouldn't understand until you were 12 years old. And you know what it is too. And I wonder, it was is, was this Black Stallion movie? Was it a cartoon or was it? No, like it was a, live action, and it was really, so, 
Yeah, it was really well, like, like really realistically and 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 kind of perfectly done. It's 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 really it's really a great movie. And I I don't know. I'd be curious Saturday. actually. Yeah, I, yeah, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. That first scene where they fall off the boat and they're the kid and the horse are in the water. That still remains to me one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in the movies. And and, and you know that could be it because I don't. I don't know if I if my kids have seen the live action Lion King yet. Um, oh, interesting! I wonder think. if that would but be different. Yeah, it, I, it's a great point, and I think that makes a lot of the difference in the reality of like the perception of watching a cartoon. You can watch it more innocently because I know it's a cartoon. Like my kids are, are always, is this real? Is it fake? That we just watched Harry the first Harry Potter. Um, we we finished reading Harry Potter. The, the first one with Tyler maybe a week or two ago. And so he wanted to watch the movie and we told him we'll watch the movies after we finish the book. But we kept having to tell Tyler and Jake, who's Jake is, is turning six next month. Everything in this movie is fake. It's all magic because he's thinking yeah. it's real people. This is real. Yeah. Whereas if it's a cartoon, I know it's not real. So it, it, that's interesting. And I wonder how I don't, you know, the psyche of, of kids watching movies. Cause the cartoons have actually gotten more gentle. I feel like, like the shit Daryl and I watched when we were kids, you know, like Wiley Coyote dropping cliffs on the road runner, but the safe. Ones, so animals, yeah, yeah. right? Just animals. like, and just yeah. like flattening them. And then he pops right back up and Tom and Jerry, like that stuff was pretty brutal, but now it's the live action movies where the violence is so graphic Mm-hmm. And, you know, even like TV shows, too. Like, I mean, I, man, I'm, I'm watching this thing on Netflix called um, it's the Spanish name was La Casa de Papel. It's a Spanish TV show. Money Heist, it's called. Money Heist. Oh, yeah. I, it's That's a tough one. I, I like it and I don't like it. Oh, I yeah. love There's another it one is. called Locked Up, another that features the woman who plays Nairobi. She's a lead in this other one. Another really good one about about yeah. prison, Spanish prison. But yeah. this one, I don't know how far you guys are into it, but I'm like two seasons in. It's like I like it, I don't like it. You know, it's like season yeah. four. It gets really kind of graphically gross in a lot of places, <laughs> and like kind of like to a turn where I was like, uh, I can't watch this. Like I, I was averting my eyes like more Dexter, in season yeah. four of the show than anything else I watched in a really long time. Anyway. And so, again, welcome to Sports Plus Show. Uh, I'm Big D from Western Mass, where it is heavenly. Uh, Matt also is joining us from Western Mass from Agawam. And don't you love 70 degrees and 50 degrees, Matt? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful morning. It actually was a pretty nice week. We had, what was it, a little rainy um, evening the other night. But we've had pretty nice weather out here in Western Mass. And uh, then Joe from the left coast and what's happening out there. I know you've got revolt again, Joe. <laughs> well, actually we have the same weather, but I kind of hate it. I, I'm, I'm, I prefer 80 down to 65 much, much more than 68 down to 57, but yeah, well, you're going to move to Mexico eventually, right? The, the Baja coast or something. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I'm, it's funny you brought that up because since COVID, um, there was officially a travel restriction to Mexico. You couldn't go for non-essential reasons, but they were letting anyone in. They really didn't care why you were coming in. You tell them anything at the border and they'd let you in. So Americans have been going to Baja California all during the pandemic. So obviously 
we've been carrying the COVID down there and leaving it there. So it's really bad COVID-wise. It's also getting economically difficult enough where there are now bandit problems along the highway, which were not so much of a problem anymore, but now are becoming a problem again. And it's kind of hard to judge based on the conversation from Facebook groups whether this is just a few incidents or it's actually a regular problem, but it's enough to probably deter me from doing it next year. I'll have to see you know, how things clear up. The other thing is, I don't know if I necessarily want to go somewhere where it's warmer at this point, considering the, the progress of, of the climate. So I actually um, applied for a state job out at the coast in Southern Oregon. And it's a few hours away from Portland, but it's right. It's on in this town called Coos Bay. That's right on the water and it's gorgeous. So it's the kind of thing that I will absolutely take if I get offered this uh, job. Well, so. listen, I want to give two shout outs to Mexico though. One is they, uh, their Supreme court, uh, uh basically made a very positive move on abortion. Yes. Uh, making it yes. Uh, available. The other thing they're doing, it's brilliant. They are suing American gun makers because Mexico has incredibly strong gun laws, and yet the gangs that you were just talking about have every gun in the world because they go to Texas and get them all. And uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, the United States can't really sue the gun makers, but Mexico can. And this case looks very interesting. So, yeah, this hats is off a, to Mexico. Yeah, this is going to be a like a, a case studied in, in international law classes for 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 as long as there are international law classes. But, yeah, it's a huge problem. California and Arizona, too. There's lots of all these these border towns on the Mexico side are dangerous and Everything I've read on on these these you know, groups of people who've been driving the length of the peninsula for for decades say that you just got to get through the first thirty miles and don't stop until you're until you're thirty miles in because everywhere along the border it's just been rough for that exact reason and it really is apparently pretty easy to get things across the border going in that direction so it, it's you know it's not surprising but it's um, it's disturbing. Well, but like, I don't know if you've heard or not, but the, the wall between the United States and Canada is almost complete. Uh, Canada is actually building it. Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't put up two by now. But I don't know how much we want to get into this. Um, it's not one of our usual topics, but well, it's it's shocking and, dis and disheartening that Mexico, which is a pretty strictly Catholic country and, and notoriously pretty socially conservative, is making more progress on a woman's right to choose than we are here. We, we, we're just definitively going backward in a lot of places. Right. Um, listen, one thing I do want to mention, because I may forget otherwise, is Tom Coughlin, who the former Giants coach, along with a lot of other things. I think, Matt, both giant Super Bowl wins over the Patriots, he was a coach of, right? So yeah. he, he's now in another phase of life where his wife is um, got a, I guess, a fatal type degenerative disease, and he's really, really, you know, doing what you should, what a husband should do, and really taking care of her. So, I just want to give a shout out to Tom Coughlin. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd read about that uh, a few weeks ago. I'm going to try to look it up to see exactly what she has, but uh, it's basically <clears throat> not a very good prognosis. 
Starting um, light here on the Sports Plus show with abortion and death. Well, yeah. and then we can we can quickly go through UMass too. So, <laughs> well, quickly it is. <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Uh, it is September 11th that we're doing this show, yes, and and yeah. you know I, I it's always a time. I, I'm always reflecting on it, and I'm curious. I know we talk about this a lot, the different ages and, and um, generations kind of that we span. Do you guys still remember where and what and, and how it your, the impact that, or, or how it? I was, I was in the state hospital, Tagil, because remember we had classrooms there. Did you ever... Were you ever in this Belchertown school system when we not were yet? So, but you were okay. you were teaching, huh? Well, I was teaching, and I had just started. It was like one of the first years I'd taught, and um, no, actually, I'd been going for a few years. That's right. And then, um, and Maureen Madden came by um, Friday morning and said that the World Trade Center had fallen down. I said, "What are you talking about? You're nuts!" You know, but that's how I learned. Did you? But allow- the kids were in school, and we stayed the whole day. Did you, were you allowed to talk about it with uh, your students? Uh, I will take the fifth on that because I have since got into trouble for some of my things I talk about with kids. So <laughs> I, um, I'm not going to uh, uh, handle that one. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Joe? You, um, I, you, well, I you was, were, cause you're older than me. Yeah. I was living in Denver. I mean, I was, oh my God, I was 40 when it happened. No. I can't be, yeah, that's right. Oh, good God. No, 2000 was 20, 20, years ago. 2000. Yeah. yeah, 2000. I was 30. So um, I was in living in Denver and Boulder, actually. And my roommate came and, you know, it was early in the morning there. And so my roommate came and knocked on the door, said the plane just crashed into one of the one of the twin towers, uh, you know, because she knew I was knew where I was from. So I, you know, I was glued to the TV that whole morning watching everything and. The funny thing was my friends who were, you know, back east, all the cell towers and phone circuits were were occupied. So mm-hmm. people couldn't call from New Jersey to New Jersey or New York to New Jersey, but they could get me in Colorado. So for hours that morning, I was fielding calls and text messages from friends who couldn't get a hold of you know, like my friend Kevin couldn't get a hold of his wife. He said, call her and tell her, tell her I'm okay. You know, and I had yeah. a lot of people, a lot of, you know, my sister worked in that, you know, that area. I had a lot of friends that worked in the, in the neighborhood. You know, my one, my one friend said she you know, worked in one of the cluster of buildings right around there and said she heard this noise and looked out the window and saw a tail of a plane going by and just started running. And, you know, the, the, the stories that you heard that day were, were, you know, just heartwarming and devastating all at the same time. And this is where I, maybe I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm having well, a little, if you're like me, as soon as you think that you should not say whatever you're going to say. <laughs> well, I'm, go- I'm going to, because it's we've got 47 <laughs> minutes left of a show. So, but I'm, I have a, I have a problem with how we remember and regard this event 20 years later. I also have a problem with the accepted narrative that 19 people who couldn't get out of flight school somehow managed to to do what they did. I, I think there's a lot more to, to the story, and it's somewhere in between 
what we're being told and the government did it. But there's there's involvement or knowledge in things that were happening all during the process. And the other thing I absolutely do not believe is that a, a 747 crashed into the Pentagon, because if you look at the hole, it's it's a missile hole. It's not a there was no plane debris at the site ever that that the notion that that was actually a 747 is absurd. And there's, I mean, I can point you to a bunch of conspiracy sounding stuff. That Please I'll, don't. Well, <laughs> well, but I know Daryl's not a huge fan of conspiracies. Oh no. Well, but I mean, this is like, there's some obvious clues that this is not, that this, this does not happen exactly as we're being told it happened. But you look at the Kennedy assassination now, 60 years later, 50 years later, we regard it. It's most people agree that there's probably more to it than one man standing on a grassy knoll make, making one or in a book book depository making you know shots with a rifle. We all sort of acknowledge that there's more to it than that. But for 30 years after Kennedy was shot, everyone accepted the the standard narrative as it was. So I think 30, 40, 50 years from now, there's going to be at least knowledge that. Some of it was embellished and some of it was known about previously, or at least in the, you know, we know this about Pearl Harbor too, that the U.S. intelligence knew the attack was coming in the minutes before and didn't really respond, whether it was from, you know, surprise or not being prepared for that sort of event or, you know, something more malicious, we don't really know. But again, there's something that we know decades later that that happened, that they knew about it before they issued the proper alerts. So I, I, I'm afraid none of us, Matt, you might be the only one that's going to live long enough to to find out about the truth about this. Yeah, thing. I mean, look, I, I, I remember I was a junior in high school. It was second period. Uh, I was heading up to chemistry when we heard. And at that point, um, my, my chemistry teacher turned on the TV and then had a phone call and the administration called all teachers and said, turn your TVs off, you know, and then it, it was chaotic that day, um, for sure. But, you know, quickly we'll get, we'll get into sports, I think soon, maybe, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I get what you're saying, Joe. And I think even there is a lot of it goes to the mistrust of government. At least that's how I feel. And and I know we differ and, and I'm not very uh, partisan. And I kind of, I'll, I'll take, if a politician is talking and I hear, like it's already half a lie, in my opinion. Yeah, um, at least, so, usually. You yeah. know, and, and it, I've read about the conspiracies, you know, and, and, and there is some huge questions that have yet to be answered, um, you know, and, but I'll even just say it's unfortunate that that mistrust in government is part of why the reason COVID is still like when yeah, that became, good point. Yeah. when that became political and when you politicize it, oh, there's going to be mistrust instead of COVID being looked at as a medical a sickness, a virus, it became political. And and once it got thrown into that political arena, now there's just all this mistrust and misinformation. And, and who knows what politician is telling you a half truth, a spun story, you know? And so 
Well, you know, it's interesting, Matt. That's a really good analysis. Daryl, I have Um, a question for you actually regarding this because I, you know, like I I study politics and political science and, you know, this is something that's always been very, very curious to me. And the way I see it is that everyone trusted the federal government until Nixon, until Watergate. And you Uh, actually were old enough to have lived through that. And it seemed like that was the the souring moment where. Well, let me think a minute. So I think. I think what I remember, and so like, when would this be? This would be in the, I, well, so first off, question authority. That's what came up sort of in the 60s was question authority. Because at the time, we just believed Walter Cronkite. I mean, and actually for good reason, because he pretty much told the truth, um, you know, and uh, and we believed newspapers. And so it wasn't like we we sort of just, took it as a matter of fact almost that that we were being fed reliable information now the and certainly by the time of the kennedy assassination i think that the grassy knoll that business is like uh, you know i i'm i'm you know it, that guy the thing that threw me off on the kennedy assassination was when ruby shot him the next day yeah that was nuts that was obviously obviously that could have been avoided you don't walk into a police station with a gun and you're not a policeman i'm sorry so that really did begin to do but honestly to this day i still um uh believe what i'm told and don't really i hate conspiracy theories i hate them did we land on the moon Yes, oh, we landed oh, on the moon. Yeah. The footprints are still there because I, it's I fascinating. The, um, it's like, I love this. And this is what I'd much rather talk about. So the moon has no atmosphere. So those footprints are still there. There's no wind. There's no nothing. Well, but before we before we move too far off 9-11, and we can move off of it oh, after this, please. but I just, the other problem I have with the way it's remembered is we only talk about the close to 3000 people that lost their lives here uh, 200 and something on the planes and almost 3000 in the in the towers um but since then since 911 in afghanistan we've had 2448 service members killed 3846 us contractors 66000 afghan national military and police other allied service members 1,144, 47,245 Afghan civilians, 51,191 Taliban and other opposition fighters, 444 aid workers, and 72 journalists. Those are the, I, I wish we could focus on those because those are more preventable. We have also spent three and a half trillion, Three and a, a half lot of tri- money, a lot of money, three and a half trillion dollars. And the estimated interest costs by 2050 is six and a half trillion. We also have a co- estimated cost of two trillion additional dollars to pay for service members, health care and disability, burial costs, life insurance payouts, that sort of thing. I mean, this has been much more costly to our nation than those 3000 lives. And no one, no one wants to talk about that. And, and Joe, it, it, it's interesting. You bring that up and, and 
how about the first responders who, who went in afterwards sure. that yeah. are still alive, that are still well, struggling? And they've got all sorts of diseases. And, and, and they're struggling for access to health care. And, and, and how about sort of Rudy, Rudy Giuliani? He was brilliant then. He was brilliant. <laughs> and what became of him? Talk about a cartoon character. I Maybe mean, he got exposed to some toxic chemicals during all that. But, I mean, I, I just, I mean, it, it's. Ate away his brain. You know, there, there, there is a lot more, and and Joe, that that's all the, you know, the numbers that you were were saying, and and the first responders. I my dad was a firefighter, and he was on the list. Um, you know, being in in Connecticut, there were some departments who were traveling over to New York, um, and they what I think I if I remember correctly that it was kind of like, it was a bit organized where they were trying to take a few. Um, departments at a time heading over there. So, and, and he was, their department was among the list and it just, they never got to that part um, of the state, but uh, you know, the first responders who are still living now dealing with health issues and sure. you know, cancer dealing with breathing issues and trauma and, and, and all, all of everything that they're struggling to, to live with. I mean, it's, it's very similar to, veterans coming back from war with a lot of their PTSD um, and then just sort of being those forgotten heroes. And that's unfortunate. Well, and then, you, you know, you're talking about the people who were running towards the buildings as this was happening. And then you also have to think about the people that were running out who have probably have similar, you know, trauma. And, you know, like we talk about fireworks displays all the time, but imagine having been in that building and, and hearing what's typical for 4th of July now, just like, explosions and, and things crashing. I was just listening to a woman reminisce on the way into the radio station. And um, she said she heard a bang. She looked out the window, saw a tail of an airplane on the 40th floor or wherever she was yeah. and took off running. Yeah. That sounds exactly like, like Kevin's wife's story. You know, that's, that's a lot of people have that same story, I'm sure. And just like the, we we were all it was kind of an it was kind of an inspiring time afterwards it seemed like the way people came together we could really use some of that now i wish we had responded as well to the covid crisis as we did well to that. it's interesting you say that too because i i think and matt you probably remember this too this feeling like the the overwhelming feeling say a couple hours after the the uh explosions was or maybe it was more immediate actually was where is my family you know where is every member of my family and i think that was a to me a very positive thing is that people really grounded themselves in you know what my family really matters and i want to know where they all are and i want them safe you know and i thought that was somewhat of a positive of september 11th yeah my sister was actually on in, on a train on their way into the city, and I think, Ooh. I think, I think that they may have stopped the train before it crossed the river, or when it got to the New York side, they sent it right back. But you know, she was you know hours away from witnessing a lot more than she did. But you know, and again, we we can uh, the just the 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 kind of forcefulness of some of the insistence on remembering again this is probably purely a facebook thing but it seems like there's a there's a, a little crowd that has to make sure that they 
make 11 posts about 9-11 every year. And the whole never forget, never forget, never forget thing. Never forget if we're concentrating on the proper lessons to be learned, which is $10 trillion and 100,000 people dead. Not, you know, since then, not what happened that morning. So I think sure. we've used that day to justify a lot of really, really, really awful things. And I, 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 I you're I, really right, Joe, because we are now a surveillance state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our um, concentration really changed. And, you know, the point of the, you know, so again, I'm a dyed in the wood liberal. And so the you know the I, I can't stand this like oh three point five trillion is too much. It's over ten years, and no, it's not too much. It's not too much to give um, daycare subsidized daycare to poor people. It is not too much. It is what keeps so many students from getting a good head start in life. All these other um, so, things that we're talking about, you know, like the COVID unemployment relief and healthcare for all and student loan debt forgiveness, we could have made a whole lot of progress towards all that stuff without without this. Do you remember in 7-Eleven, uh, uh, September 11th, um, that there was uh, feed, uh, the insurance companies fought payouts for people that had uh, damage? That was like really awful. Not not unexpected though. That's that's you know again like we that's where we've made all of our our governmental legislative priorities. Those the groups that are making those decisions in Congress are the same. They're taking their money from these companies, and they are so heavily involved in these companies that. Their interests, the interests are the same. So the behavior is going to is going to sync up. And we're, we've been there for 40 years where giant corporations are favored over ordinary Americans. And we're seeing now kind of the how the, the play out of it. But poor Matt, this is the only world he's ever known. Like when I was a kid, yeah. you could you know, my parents were both teachers. My dad was an administrator and a superintendent later in his career. But. I mean, we lived, they lived better than, than any of the three of us could hope to off of two teacher salaries. Well, that, that, I mean, that's exactly where I am now. My wife is a teacher too. And uh, yeah, I, 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 we're, we're okay, but I mean, we're not by any means living a life that we I don't know, I, but insurance companies are, are even using the, the COVID thing to do similar things where they realize that the courts are so backed up. I was talking to my brother about this, who's a lawyer, and I got a buddy in insurance. We were playing golf over the summer, and, and what insurance companies are doing now are um, any sort of claim that's being put in, they're going in and, and they're offering less money for it. And then they're like, oh, yeah, take us to court in five years. Yeah. Because that you know it's all backed up. So yeah, oh yeah, okay, take us to court. And that's Let's happening with the hurricane Ida people too. And 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 that's so it, it's it's a. Uh, and they also they also have a lot of very experienced lawyers on staff, and so for them to to go into court and fight all this stuff doesn't cost them anything. Where it's you or costs them the same money that it's like a salaried position. Right. So right. It costs them the same every year. It's part of the billing. Right. And whatever, yeah. you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars they pay each of those lawyers, they more than make up that savings on lawsuits that they don't have to deal with because people like you and I, 
we look at something like that, and I, I can't afford $20,000 for a lawyer to, to file a suit like that. And if you lose, you're really in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. It's so it's unfortunate. Hey, do we want to spin a little bit to sports or no? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Can I start with you, Mass? Yeah, not much to say, but sure. <laughs> no, well, there's not. You're right. There's not much to say, but it's really interesting. So I don't know when this discussion happened. I think it was probably 20 years ago or something. But um, UMass was division, whatever, you know, they had different, they weren't division one. One they double were, A, right, right. One double A. And they had actually won a national championship with Whipple, um, you know, one year and, and were quite a good team. And then they got into this. So they decided that, you know, I, I think the, you know, higher up administration decided that they wanted to be like Michigan and UNC. They wanted to be this, great school that people from all over came because there was some financial breaks for in-state people that out-of-state people really paid, footed the bill for UMass. So they wanted to be, and so part of that was um, that they wanted to become a Division I football team. Uh, and the thing is, I remember there was really the faculty at UMass really yeah. fought it. Yeah. And I thought they were wrong, but now I've changed my mind. They were really right. Um, it was a terrible decision for UMass to go Division One. Mm. Yeah, I think I I think most of the thinking people around campus knew what, what it was knew what it, what it was going to do, and also UMass. I think they were trying to capitalize on the basketball team's success and notoriety, Calvary, right? Yeah. But again, I you know. There never seems to be a. You, they made a conscious decision to go down a road that most people would agree is damaging and difficult and corrupt. Right? No one wants to be Alabama. No one wants to be, you know, Texas. You know, to to bring one up. You know, but also no one wants to be UMass or UConn either. And yeah. So sorry, Matt. Didn't mean to. Didn't mean to stab you in the neck there. Well, that. UConn's doing a little better. What, what, no, no, God, yeah, no, no, you no. haven't. No, yeah, yeah UConn. No, UConn, UConn lost to Fresno State. They just lost to an FCS team, uh, Holy Cross. Oh, Randy so Edsel, having a good year. Randy, they're zero two. Randy Edsel comes out on on Sunday after they lose to Holy Cross and says, "I'm going to retire at the end of the year." And then the AD said, "No, you're gone now." And this is he just came back this year, right? And this yeah. is another case like Whipple, Daryl, where where he left. Went took went to coach somewhere else, and then came back and took the job that he had years before. And I, Matt, he, why did he get fired just because saying he was going to retire? That's like that's not that unusual. Like, but uh, but you don't do it two coach games. Coach K has, but Coach K has said this is his last. Coach year. K is he's, not Randy Etzel. He's not Coach K. Yeah. Okay. you know, Randy Etzel had success. Had had huge success. He, I mean, he had Dan Orlovsky. He he took UConn, and I remember this as a kid. I would go to like UConn against Yale at the Yale Bowl as a kid. And, you know, and it was competitive. UConn, me growing up was almost, it was like Southern Connecticut State University. It was like, oh yeah, if I want to play football and I, and I played Pop Warner football and, and it was always kids at the high school were like, yeah, do I want to play at Southern Connecticut or UConn? And it was kind of like UConn was an extension of our high school football. And Randy Edsel came and took UConn to the next step. They got Dan Orlovsky, Donald Brown, you know, um, uh, the uh, Patriots defensive back. 
Um, was it Chung? Was Patrick Chung UConn? Patrick Chung. UConn. So, you know, Randy Edsel did a really nice job, and then he went to Maryland, failed at Maryland, and came back to UConn. And just for whatever reason, UConn regressed every year. And um, it's not easy to recruit to Connecticut. It's even harder to recruit to UConn in the middle of nowhere in Connecticut. And uh, if you have a lame duck coach after week two, where you just lost to an FCS team, after you had an entire year of COVID where you did nothing but train, they were able to practice, they didn't play games, and you lose to an FCS team, you had a year to get these kids ready. Randy Edsel should have been fired a while ago, but UConn's in bad shape. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't see them ever doing anything in football. They're a basketball school. Keep it at that. Get rid of their football program. It's a waste of money. Well, I think with the with the, the impending realignment right now, we got four teams that are going from the CAA into the Big Twelve. I think yeah. we're going to see a gigantic shuffle between now and 2025 when Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. So I think we're, we'll see a, maybe a little more separation of the upper conferences from the the next five and then from those to the rest of the the schools and hopefully the thing that 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 kind of again like we we point back to our old our old whipping person the NCAA everything was fine when you could be division one in one sport and division three in another and when Mm -hmm. I was at Swarthmore we played Georgetown in football because back then wow. you could be division one and they, they, their field, the, the difference between the football program and the basketball program at Georgetown was Amazing. gigantic. The yeah. football field was on top of the gym. They had an AstroTurf <laughs> field built on top of the gym, <laughs> literally wow. like 30 yeah. yards past the end of the end zone. There was a 30 foot oh. drop to the parking lot. Like, and, and ah. the, like the field was torn up and like threadbare in places. It was weird going there to play play them in football but back then you could do that and that's where a lot of schools were and i think uconn maybe it was even division three and then all of a sudden the ncaa said you can't you have to be if you're division one and one you have to be division one and the other and a lot of these schools were forced to elevate their division three football programs to one double a in a hurry and it it's sort of it's kind of snowballed from there and you know, the snowballs picked up and a to, lot of to dirt go back rocks. to UMass a second their basketball team was playing in the A10 with Temple it was a great basketball uh, conference it was wonderful really some they always had two or three kind of real powerhouse teams in it and uh, they left because of football because you know A10 didn't play football well aren't they still They're in the A10, A10 for basketball I don't think so yeah they are yeah, yeah they are yeah, they're only in the MAC for for other sports. Everything else, they still no, play. No, they the left game. the yeah. MAC, didn't they? They left the MAC. Oh, they left the MAC for football, they're, right? They're now like, they're no, they're like, oh. they're like Notre Dame. They're one of the <laughs> two or three independent, uh, un- unaligned schools. That's great. The, saying that that UMass is like Notre Dame is saying that I'm like Aaron Rodgers because we're both white men. <laughs> that is where the similarity ends. <laughs> That's where it ends. <laughs> But UMass is going to BC this week, right? No, BC is coming here. Oh. BC is favored by some 38, 40 points. And <laughs> I'm I'm betting 
and I would like to talk about betting a little bit. I'm betting on, um, I bet last week that Pitt would cover the, I think it was a 45 point spread or whatever it was. And they did. And I'm betting that um, BC will cover the 38 point spread and, so I'm betting against UMass two weeks in a row. Are you actually? Are you actually like you're putting money betting on it, or are you? Just yeah. So that? my brother-in-law, and my two my two brother-in-laws love to bet, and nice. so I reluctantly join them. <laughs> and the thing is, what they do is, and I don't, I really don't understand betting at all, but I do, I do think it's worthy of us to, talking about because it's gonna just be more gross than it already is. Um, in in the actual arenas as part of the action, um, but so they they like betting, but they don't like betting one game because you don't get enough of a payoff. Yeah. So they bet the trifecta, oh, sure. yeah, yeah. and and you know I think I've told you this story, but the um, last year that t- that game that Chubb broke for a touchdown at the end of the game and ran out of bounds at the two, if he had kept into the end zone, we would have won the trifecta. You know, it's like, so betting Yeah, is that stupid. hurt my fantasy football team, too. Oh, I had geez. him on my fantasy football team. There I, I remember go. that. There we go. Fantasy football reference number one. <laughs> Daryl, do you, so do you go, do you go online? Do you use an, an online service? I, no, I am, you know, Matt knows me. I'm as anti-online as a person can be. Um, and like it, Matt, it's driving me nuts in school now because the kids are all forty feet apart. You know, like you, you can't like you can't show them a little picture anymore yeah. in a book. You so you have to put everything on the screen. So even though we're in the classroom, I have to do everything on the screen. You guys aren't allowed to have like your rug time or anything like that. You can't rug, bring to the rug. Rug's gone. Really? There's no rug. Oh my god, it's terrible. It's terrible. That's why I take my kids outside every day, a yeah. couple times a day. Yeah. Um, yeah, sports betting is is actually it, it it's going to get pretty big. It's gonna it, it's probably going to corrupt most of sports. Honestly, I don't know if it's a good thing. For, you don't you think guys, so? I no, see you face. guys act like gambling. The, the, the like they just invented gambling last week. I mean, not, no, but not, but, not, I, not but, but see, I'm sort of on Matt's side where like if you look at what washington has done you know so they have now a draft kings part of the arena or something like that you know so it's sort of i don't like that direction i don't like that the announcers all the time say well uh, they're uh they were a two point you know what's the what's the over all that stuff i you know i i don't really care for that well, I think the, the thing about so that's that's funny because the announcers mentioning the point spreads, I feel like has become as much of a this team is X X amount better than this other team. I think when they a lot of times when announcers refer to the point spread, they're trying to tell you what to expect from the game more so trying to, to coach gamblers. But, I you know, I, I agree that the, it's definitely has a much bigger presence now that it's legal, essentially. You know, in, in most states, they've they've developed a system, and you know, the federal government said it was sports betting is now legal in the U.S. So we have it in Oregon. I can go to the Grand Ron Casino, forty five minutes from here, and I, I've every year I'll go on and I'll spend. I, I'm I'm on one of the online gambling sites, and I I put maybe one hundred and fifty dollars into it in the last three years, 
and I just sort of like whatever I win, I just sort of keep rolling it over. And mm-hmm. like I'll bet a couple of NFL games here and there, or like I've got I'll bet season long things, like I'll bet on teams to win win titles, win championships, and I it's almost not worth it to bet things that are one and a half to one or return twice your money. So I'll bet long shots to win championships because one of these days, one of these teams or or (laughs) race drivers is going to come through it at 300 to one. And I'm going to make a few thousand dollars off of 10 or $15. So so Joe, every day, do you drive to the local convenience store spend $30 for your cigarettes and your, and your uh, lottery tickets? No. I have spent zero. So my history with the lottery is I will play it when it goes above like 150 million. I figure then it's worth it to buy a couple of tickets. And so I'll buy three or $5 worth of tickets. And I, every time I do this, so I'll buy five tickets. So I'll have, you know, whatever, 30 numbers and I'll match maybe one of those like for on all five tickets. I'll get like every time I play the lottery, the universe tells me don't bother playing. the lottery. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't. I don't get too much into betting game. I, I play a lot of fantasy sports, so I do. I have DraftKings. Um, I'm in. But wait a minute. But why do you have DraftKings with fantasy sports? I do like the daily fantasy. So that that is betting, right? Yeah, but I, I'm yeah. not betting too much. I don't do too much of the games. I don't do the over unders. Um, yeah. You know, I don't. I don't. I I know what Joe's talking about. I don't make those bets. I do most of the, the fantasy sports. Um, but I, I, I've been reading out here in Western Mass, we have the MGM casino in Springfield. And so um, they've just recently put in two sport betting lounges. Um, and what they're waiting for is kind of the state has some legislation that they're working on that hopefully by the end of this year, um, will go through but they're they're basically these two lounges are created massive tvs all around where you can be putting in your bets right there um you know sitting down watching the game put in a put in and 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 we're talking any kind of bets hey next basket's gonna be right they're gonna gonna score 40 points or more Um, that's a little concerning though i mean that's yes hey look it's the gambler's responsibility to try to be responsible but, uh, but do either of the two of you feel that there's a risk involved where potentially the actual performers in the in the game could act differently because of the spread and because I, I of the think payoff? It's, I think it's far less likely to happen now than it was 75 years ago oh, or good. 50 years good. ago because I think you, you, there's nowhere to there's nowhere to hide first of all like there's mm-hmm. the p- players are out in public their social lives are documented by everyone with a with a cell phone now so I think you can't the the ability to meet some gambler in a in the corner of a of a dark bar is is you know that's gone and i think i think we would find out about it very quickly now i agree with you joe and not that but anyone who has enough impact on any game they make too much money what are you going to bribe them with right right Right, it was definitely going to be more of a problem when baseball players were making ten thousand dollars a year that, that, yeah. That's when you could get it. Hey, if I'm a if I'm a, a bookie or if I I've got money on a game and I can say, hey man, I'll throw you 
you know, I'll ten, I'll throw you ten thousand dollars to to help me to to push this game my direction. If if you are an imp, an impactful enough player, you're making too much money to especially get bribed. Now, especially now with the NIL stuff in college. Well, and that that's it too. I mean, that can be something though, because even well, still, and and the thing is too, like now when it happens. It's gigantic news, like the Tim Donahue, even in the seventies, mm. the Boston College point shaving scandal. That was the late seventies, and once we found out right. about, you know, once that got out, it was it was gigantic news. Pete Rose, I mean, people still debate about whether Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame or should be allowed to manage. Well, he should or, be in the Hall of Fame, but he should not have bet on his own games. But he, see, I have no problem with what Pete Rose did. You know why? Because he but always not bet, his own game. He always bet on his own team, though. He never bet against the Reds. He always bet on them. I have no problem with that. Okay, you're sure of that? That's that seems to be the okay. according to the uh, evidence. That's, yeah, that's that, good to hear. That's good to hear. That is so his, would you put um, him? Would you come out and said I've never bet against. Him. I would put Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. I, uh, three feet in the door, Pete Rose belongs too, in the Matt. Hall of Fame. I do. I be, yeah. I, I'm different than steroids. I think are a little bit of a. Well, okay, a so bit more how about Clemens and Bonds? Pete Rose. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, well, what about know, Clemens and Bonds? Those two are tough. Uh, silence. I love it. I, it's, I think it's worth the debate because you have those two individuals. You could make an argument if. You can kind of pinpoint in their career when steroids were over. an impact and, and took over, and you could make the argument that they were trending towards Hall of Fame prior to. Exactly. And yeah. but does know, that forgive what they did? Well, but but what did they? That's another thing. Like, what did they do? They turned into monsters. If you look but, at Bobby but, Bonds when he started, he was a beautiful athlete. He was like a sprinter. He was, you know. Just and then when he left, he was, you know, this is and not to. I think you know how you were making your conspiracies, Joe, at the beginning of the show. Like, I think this is a huge conspiracy with baseball, and I think baseball fed their athletes steroids. I have no knowledge of Cal Ripken Jr., in my opinion, was a steroid user. Steroids help you recover, right steroids don't necessarily have to make you massive unless that's what you're training your body to be. Mm -hmm. Baseball has of all of their issues. One of them, in my opinion, is they play too many games. And if you are a high level athlete playing six games every seven days, that's a lot of wear and tear on your body. And the sheer fact that Cal Ripken jr was able to recover every year. Right. You know, to me, I'm, I bet you were doing steroids. You needed something to help your body recover. Well, let's, let's, let's expand and, that. Let, let's call them performance enhancing drugs. Cause I think there are things but, like HGH isn't necessarily a steroid, but it, it does exactly what you're saying. Helps, helps you recover from injuries much, much faster. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't know if it's necessarily that baseball, that organized baseball was promoting or fostering. And I think they were allowing it to happen, but yeah. I don't think they had to, they weren't the ones that had to encourage it. These, you see this, um, there's a, another d documentary right now about the guy, um, 
the the guy in Florida who did this had all this age regeneration clinic that was serving mm. all these baseball players and like you just realize that it was part of every player's training regimen. I don't know about, I don't know about Cal Ripken. I don't know about Derek Jeter. I'd like to think that there are some, some players who opted out of doing all this, but you know, we, we see how much more attention athletes pay to this sort of thing now than they did 20 or 30 years ago, or maybe, maybe it goes back further now. Cause I think, you know, we're talking about all this stuff, this all this stuff happened 20 or 30 years ago. So let's go back 50 years when athletes all looked like young Barry Bonds, right? They were all now athletes in every sport are inflated and gigantic. And, you know, I think, I think you're right, Matt. We've at some point collectively, we we've all sort of acknowledged wink, wink, nod, nod that we'd rather see ballooned up athletes hitting 500 foot home runs than athletes, make it past 80 because they're dying of kidney disease, mm. you know, not make it past 80 because they're dying of kidney disease or, you know, all the, the zillions of, of health consequences that come from, from taking things like that. And, you know, we're about to start seeing those long-term consequences on a grand scale. So I think, again, we'll know a lot more in 20 years, how much personal damage these people have done to themselves Damage to the sport, I I don't really, I don't really care what the rules are. I don't I don't need to see my baseball players inflated like they are. So I would be fine if they legitimately got rid of all that stuff. But it doesn't really matter to me as long as everyone's subject to the same circumstances. Well, you know what you know what's really interesting is that, and it has to do with how much money players make now. But you know, back in the Ted Williams days. Um, you know, I think Ted Williams got 20000 a year, and he had no negotiating right. He just went, and, y- and Yaki said, this is what you're getting, and he couldn't do anything about it. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, ha- in the off-season, they worked as toll collectors as um, in, in restaurants. They they worked, and so they, they didn't, they often came back in uh, to the next season in very poor shape because they hadn't been working out all the time, you know. And uh, so it's a whole different landscape now. Uh, people really uh, work out all the time. Yeah, and I mean, and and Joe, and I have I have no knowledge of, of who did steroids, and and but I just think baseball knew their athletes had to have been doing something, and were okay with it. Sure. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and because they were beating yeah. Babe Ruth's record. I it, it, they. Baseball was okay with, especially after the strike. Like Cal right. Ripken was the saved baseball. I mean, what? And I remember as a kid, I remember watching that game that he broke, um, the the uh, with Lou Gehrig's, Lou Gehrig's record. Yeah, yeah. I, you I, know I remember watching that game. You know, you know, it was Lou Gehrig. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that thing, you know, stopping the game. He did the the. He walked around the the field. I mean, that was incredible. And and I just think. You know, baseball knew McGuire was was doing stuff, and and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds, and and had they wanted to keep it clean, had they wanted to right. to clean that up, they very well could have. But they were like out of sight, out of mind, and and that kind of reason. Your original question: Should they be Hall of Famers? I yes, they should because they kind of I agree. They're, 
the league. You can put him in a steroid wing. Wanted that. Want. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Baseball should acknowledge the fact that we right. had a steroid era. And, and Pete Rose like, should be in the Hall of Fame, too. I, but well, listen, I, let well, me just... I, well, I just want to one okay. quick thing, though. Cheating has been part of baseball since we've had baseball. Sure, I mean, sure. stealing the signs. It's still signs, is. Scuffing the ball, throwing a spitball. We've had a spitball since we've had pitchers. So yeah. I, the, making these making these little... Get, trying to get these little advantages has been part of baseball and trying to push what's legal and what you can get, what you can get away with. You know, and now we but, see it with this, with this, this grease stuff that they're using, like this, oh, yeah, this again, yeah, like yeah, this yeah, whole yeah. new thing. So, right. this, oh, again, this is, or yeah, this, you know, 10 years from now, it'll be something else. They'll be putting dead spiders on the ball or something. Well, <laughs> listen, let me say in our last few minutes here that it's really interesting. So I watched the Tampa Bay um, Brady football game. I watched a lot of it <laughs> and, and the excitement of football relative to baseball is dramatic. I mean, every play is interesting. Um, you see great plays every 30 seconds. You know, there's uh, continuous action. It just really struck me. The risk of catastrophic, uh, he how catastrophic much? head injuries. <laughs> uh, Exciting. But no, but I mean, but, but basketball, hockey, and football have it over baseball in the sense of action. So does so does soccer and lacrosse and yes. mm -hmm. gymnastics and volleyball and yep. tennis and anything else? Yeah. What are your? Did you guys watch week one? Uh, or I, I shouldn't say week one. First game. Dallas. I, that was, I, it was a real good game. I mean, I didn't I, watch all of it, but it was. I watched the end. It was great. Yeah, I didn't watch Thursday. It, it seemed interesting. I'll probably pay a lot more attention to the NFL this year than I have in in the last couple of years. But who knows? We'll see. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good game. Uh, Tom Brady looked uh, as good as ever. Still at 44. Is that what we're he, calling you know, the Tampa Bay right, Brady's? Matt. Brady looks sensational. He Brady looked, looks sensational. He, really? His, oh, my literally, God. Literally, literally Matt, one game, Matt, one game Matt, into the football season, this is all we can talk about is what a god Tom Brady is. No, well, no but, he but, looks great. He, he did. He, 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 pit, he threw the ball beautifully. What did – well, I'll, and I'll just say this. I, I know, Joe, how you feel about the guy. Whatever. <laughs> when last year, week one, Saints versus Bucks, Brady versus Breeze. I remember watching that game thinking, ooh, Drew Brees is old. Week one, I remember saying, Drew Brees can't push the ball downfield. He's not even, like, it, it looked bad. All I'll say, Tom Brady did not look like Drew Brees did in week one last year. That's all I'll say. Take how, it for what you want. How many more games slash seasons until that's the case, in your, your opinions? <laughs> Looks like a couple. I mean, as good as he I looks have, right now, I'd say he's going to be there a couple more years. I, I mean, I, I I have no reason to think at least this year he's not going to be playing at a high level. I hope it happens sooner than that because I'm tired of talking about him. I certainly don't <laughs> want to have the same conversation for 17 more years. Right. Well, is, is there any scenario where you – and I'm I'm with you in the sense that like yeah it's it's a team game. There's yes. in my opinion there's no yes. other ultimate team game than football. It Absolutely, is, I, so all I'm fifty players count. 
But right. at what is there anything that will ever happen for you to be like Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback ever? I so the the, the reason I'm resistant to giving him that that title is that I don't the the if you're putting over overemphasizing Super Bowl championships, that's the logical answer. But if you tell me who is the best quarterback when I if if I was picking a quarterback at their peak or for their whole career, who do I want on my team? It's not Tom Brady. It's Dan Marino, probably first. I think he was the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. I mean, Brady's definitely in the top. Johnny Unitas. Brady's in the top four, I think. You know, Bradshaw on the field was super entertaining. The other guy (laughs) that doesn't really get enough credit, and Daryl, you remember him, is uh, Fran Tarkenton. Oh man, like Fran Tarkenton. He was like he ran Michael, too. He, he was, was kind of Michael, the first running quarterback. He was Michael Vick before Michael Vick. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know, so I think there's a lot of historical quarterbacks that don't get. You know, there's you go back. You know, Sammy Baugh. Like there, are, you know, it, it pre every quarterback throwing 55 times a game and completing 80 percent of their passes. You know, you it's it's like comparing basketball players. It's like comparing Bill Russell to to Bill Walton or, you know, comparing Oscar Robertson to, to Michael Jordan. Like you just, it's fun discussions. And that's what we do every week. Um, Let me uh, just in our last minute here or so uh, tell both of you guys that I just went and paid for my UMass men's season tickets. Um, Now I, I did ask him, I said, how many people are going to be actually be in the arena? They did not have an answer because it'll depend on what the situation is in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is, I think 75, 80% vaccinated. And so we could, but, but again, who knows? Like, what do you guys think? Do you think there will be 10,000 people in the Mullen center? I'm not trying to be a total, uh, jerk on this but how many people are there regularly <laughs> uh, there's right 2000 disgruntled fans because so, the team is so crummy it's pretty i would say the games that i've been to and i i i enjoy going to umass games i've always said why can't they get a bigger crowd i want there to be a bigger crowd at umass Damn. basketball games but they're pretty spaced out anyway. They so, need a winner, right? But so anyway, know, but do you think they'll be in there that that's what it'll be, that there'll be a couple thousand people there in the Mullen Center? Yeah, I think 20, 20, 25% is, is reasonable. But again, like Matt said, that's pretty much all, all that are showing all up. Get, anyway. right. <laughs> but I mean, when I, when I was there not too long ago, you know, 10, 10 years ago, they, we filled the place for conference games. When when they had a good team, yeah, it is definitely. It's not the kind of fans that will go good year or bad year. It's got to be a good year for fans. Fair weather fans, yeah, for sure. And even in the student section, the students, I I feel like you know, get the student section ramped up a little bit. Oh my God! Listen, we have done it again. We have spent an hour talking about some sports, some politics, and having a great time. And so, I want to thank everybody for listening to Sports Plus with Baker, Big D, and Joe. Gentlemen, uh, we'll reconvene next Saturday. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.